Let's stand to our feet. We're going to read the scriptures first. So grab your Bibles and we're going to read Luke 7, verses 36 through 50. In our Shocking Christ series, we have looked at the Jesus you may not know. We saw the incredible humility of Jesus as he washed the feet of his disciples. We saw his perfect standard showing us our need for grace from the Sermon on the Mount. Last week, we were challenged as we looked at the example of Jesus in that tireless day of service. And today, we look at Jesus' shocking love and forgiveness In the story of Jesus, Simon, and the sinful woman. This narrative is so good. It is so powerful. And really just to read it is so encouraging. So I thought we would start there. So you follow along as I read out loud Luke chapter 7 starting in verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees were requesting him to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and kept wiping them with the hair of her head, and kissing his feet, and anointing them with the perfume. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this is, who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven." For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Will you pray with me? Lord, help us now as we take your word and seek to apply it to our lives, to have our love ignited with passion for you and for others, that we would see and then walk away seeking to experience more the glorious forgiveness that you have shown us in Christ, that it would make us 
different because of our exposure to your truth, that we would walk away being challenged and changing so that we would be greater instruments in your hands, greater use for you in your kingdom work and building up of the body of Christ. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. For about three years, while helping to plan a church in Hollywood, California, I worked as a counselor ministering to homeless drug addicts on Sunset Boulevard. And when I say Sunset Boulevard, that always sounds so cool, cooler than it was. But it fit me. They needed a counselor who was male, who was a man, who had good theology and was willing to listen to people cry, scream, grumble, and get paid $10 an hour for it. I fit the bill. And I loved this job. I really did. I learned a ton about loving people. But I saw a lot of hurt. I remember driving home some days and just weeping as I went through the stories of people that I had spoken to throughout the day. Lives ravaged by drugs, alcohol, all forms of abuse, homelessness, illnesses, people that are the least loved. And success in this area of ministry is so difficult to evaluate. It's so rare that a person stuck in a cycle of homelessness or steeped in addiction would break free. But the one undeniable factor that would bring about lasting change in somebody's life was when God saved them. When they experienced the love and forgiveness of Jesus. And when they got immersed into the local church. When that took place, you saw real transformation. And one of the main indicators that would burst out of this transformed life was a love unmatched by anyone around them. Such a deep love for others, and such a deep love for the things of God. Why? Because of what we just read, the truth that Jesus declares in Luke chapter 7, that those who have been forgiven much, love much. And while this story of the sinful woman demonstrates that someone who's lived an extravagantly immoral life has a, a bit of a leg up on the rest of us to understand and have a certain expression of love and thankfulness. Come on, there is no redeemed sinner who should not be constantly blown away with the fact that they've been forgiven all their sins. So, FPC, what's the temp on the thermometer of our love? Is it burning hot? Is it below average? Or has it grown cold? Does your affection for Christ and your love for those around you look like it flows from a deep thankfulness that your sins, past, present, and future, have been forgiven? If you're like me, then you may need to admit that your love grows dim. Your love for Christ and others can be distracted. Impatience with my children, 
a greater interest in my own comforts rather than to care for others. Weariness in the busyness of life that leads to complacency in my love. Are you with me? Can you relate? So if that's you, along with me, let's this morning... While we look at this shocking display of Jesus' love and forgiveness, let Christ and his word stoke the flame of your love. Kindle afresh your deep gratitude for his forgiveness of you. My main challenge to set your heart towards this morning is to love like you've been forgiven much. Love like you've been forgiven much because redeemed sinner, follower of Christ, you have. Okay, and I've got four actions that you can begin to apply today to pursue the kind of love for Christ and others that is consistent with the incredible forgiveness that we've received. Point number one in your outline, revere above all the person of Christ. I think now every message I preach, I have to do hand motions and you're going to do them with me. Are you ready? Revere above all. Put them on the top shelf, okay? You're not all doing it. Ready? Revere above all the person of Christ. Amen. Amen to those hand motions? That's weird. Now, before we press into the text, this story has similarities to another story in the Gospels. And you can read the other story in Matthew 26, Mark 14, and John 12. That story, not the same as this story. There is a guy named Simon in that story, but he's a leper, not a Pharisee. The other story is Judea. This one is Galilee. And the other story is really close to where Jesus goes to the cross, and this one's a little ways off. So some similarities, but this one is unique. Timeline, we're right between John Plesnick's message and Nigel's message, basically. (laughs) The Sermon on the Mount is behind us. After this moment where we're in the house of Simon the, the Pharisee, Jesus will go into that really long day of service, okay? So put yourself into that context. Ministry is nonstop. The crowds just keep coming, And there is this growing desire by the religious to catch Jesus in a trap and take him off the map. And that is most likely the motive of our guy, Simon. And still, Jesus, totally aware of this, in verse 36, he comes to dinner. And they recline at table together. Now, it was customary in that time for religious leaders to allow for others from the town to come hang in the outskirts. They were either at a table in a courtyard or just inside, and they would allow people to be on the outskirts, especially the poor who could, at the end of the meal, come and grab scraps off of the table. So it's not uncommon. It's not the biggest uh, issue that you have this uninvited guest. But in this case, oh, it's a big issue. And it's because of who she is and what she does when she gets there. We're introduced to her in verse 37. Look at it. There was a woman in the city who was a sinner. Everybody say, dun, dun, dun. Thank you. All right, I'm going to stop acting like I'm leading my devotions at home. (laughs) Was a sinner. 
named and known by her sin. It's speculated that she's a prostitute. The text doesn't say, but whatever type of sin, her reputation is now characterized by it. But at some point in recent days probably, this woman finds herself in one of those crowds following Jesus. She hears the message of the kingdom from Jesus, repents of her sin, and places her faith in Christ and experiences this love and forgiveness of Jesus. Hallelujah! And this woman, when she hears that Jesus is going to be accessible at this party, though it will mean absolute ridicule and humiliation, she has one thought on her mind. Worship. She runs to Jesus with this jar of expensive perfume and falls at his feet. Look at verse 38. Weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Like the desperation you would have to hold on to a piece of floating driftwood in a stormy sea, so is this woman's desperate clinging to Jesus, her only source of rescue. It's like my friends who got saved in Hollywood. This is a person whose past was filled with a massive amount of immorality and no concept of being loved without strings attached, and she comes to the one, the one who loves her with an unconditional love, who forgives every sin. It's, it's like the Apostle Peter's response to Jesus. I think it's in your outline, John 6, 68. What does he say? He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We don't want to be anywhere else. If sin is my greatest problem, and the only answer is forgiveness, and the only one who can grant that is Jesus, then he's all I want. We sang it earlier. Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus is my life. That would be the song of this woman. Oh. I thought it was going so well. Have you ever been, and you've got to be honest with me, have you ever been in the middle of one of those gospel songs and you're singing the truth of the gospel and how God has transformed you and you cannot get to the end of it without tears just rolling down your face? Any dudes want to admit to that? Come on. Yes. I like second service. <laughs> I know what you do. You wait for like another song later where it's like maybe an upbeat, really celebratory one. You do one of these. I got you. She doesn't care what she looks like. She's using her tears and hair to clean his feet. You'd think, how embarrassing. And yet, probably for the first time in her life, she is unashamed. Having tasted of the forgiveness of Jesus, she's treasuring him more than anything. The one who granted her forgiveness. Later in Luke, you see the, the, the story of Martha and Mary, and Mary's there at the feet of Jesus, just taking in Jesus' words, and Martha's like, Mary's just sitting there, and there's all this work to do. And Jesus comes to her, and he's compassionate. He says, Martha, Martha, 
You are worried and bothered about so many things. Only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. In your love for many things in this life, do you choose at the top of the list the best thing? Do you revere above all the person of Christ? Christians in the room, can you recall the passion you had in the first year God saved you? Don't you want to maintain that always? It doesn't have to go away. It's the same Christ. It's the same gospel. So FBC, how do we stir our affections in the menial day-to-day? Because I get it. I want to get practical here. For me, it's less a matter of having what I need and more using what I have. Number one, right here. The gathered people of God. Do I come to church and do I come to worship my Savior and see him in the preached word and worship him and fellowship with saints so that we're stirring one another to what? Love and good deeds. Time in my Bible, but reading my Bible to see the face of Christ and then taking the truth that I'm, I'm learning and apply it, applying it to my life because I love the Christ who calls me to these truths. I think it's wise to make a habit of speaking highly of Christ in your day-to-day. Acknowledging regularly that you live always in his presence. Talk about God's word. Teach God's word with those around you. Deuteronomy gives, that, gives you that great fourfold action list. When you, what is it? When you sit, when you walk, when you lie down, when you get up. Same with prayer. When I was a kid, we always prayed at meals, and I kind of resisted praying at meals later because I kind of thought, oh, it's just kind of rote. You're going through the motions. Now, as I want greater dependence in my day-to-day and a fresh love for Christ, I'm like, you attach prayer to everything. Come on. Meals, mirrors, commutes, bedtime, bathroom, boogie boarding, phone charging, FaceTiming. Put reverence for Christ in every great and small task. If we're going to be a people whose love matches the depth with which we are forgiven, like the woman clinging to Christ, we must, number one, revere above all the person of Christ. And if we're going to love like we've been forgiven much, we're going to, number two, refrain from judging in place of Christ. Number two in your outline, refrain, Christians, from judging. Simon and the other religious elite are looking at this scene aghast, believe me. We know that Pharisees were self-righteous, self-declared authorities on who was and who was not righteous. And surely, they're all thinking, this woman is not stamped sinner. But Simon's judgment goes beyond that. Are you ready? Look at verse 39. He thinks to himself. Now all these words are in his mind. 
He thinks to himself, if this man, speaking of Jesus, were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. All all those going on inside of his mind. What's going on here? Who's he judging? He's judging Jesus. And then verse 40, Jesus answers his thoughts. (laughs) He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. It's kind of like when you interrupt a little kid in the middle of their thoughts. If you ever, this ever happened, you kind of like accidentally catch them in a little mischievous moment. They're like in their own world and they're thinking up some mischievous plan. And you're like, hey, Johnny. And they're like, huh? <laughs> Nothing. Like one of those moments. <laughs> James 4.12. There is only one lawgiver and judge. The one who is able to save and destroy. Only one. Only one judge, and that one judge alone has the authority. And Simon, Simon has placed himself in the role of judge, unknowingly judging the true judge, ouch, as he judges others. Bad decisions, right? Our dear friends Jim and Peggy Evans babysit our kids from time to time. They're awesome. If you know Jim and Peggy, you are going to laugh even harder at this story. They are seasoned parents, grandparents, retired teachers, so they handle it. Even my children, they handle my children, which made it a little easier to hear this story from Jim upon my arrival home one day. One of my younger daughters apparently had perched herself on top of a large trash container. Jim had asked her several times to get down, and she refused. He says to her, your mom and dad would want you to obey. Now there's 73 year gap between these two, okay? <laughs> My daughter leans in, looks Jim in the eyes, and she goes, You're not the boss of me. <laughs> there is one judge. And I like to tell my kids, it's not you. And if you think otherwise, your structure of authority is off. Same with Simon. He had not placed Jesus in his rightful position of authority. And this is the big irony of this story. A Pharisee who boasts of being the most knowledgeable about God has missed the fact that he's having dinner with him. And the woman known for her godless living, knows exactly who he is. It's why she's kissing his feet while Simon is looking judgmentally out of the corner of his eye. There's nothing that hinders your ability and freedom to love more than making negative assumptions and judging others. Let's get uncomfortable for a second. I know that's never a good transition. (laughs) Aren't we like Simon sometimes? Where in your life do you subtly or overtly judge those around you? It starts with pride, just like Simon, thinking too highly of ourselves. Do you ever think, I'm better than them? A better parent a better leader, a better servant, 
better at the Christian life? Because not only is it sinful, it's a waste of your time. Sadly, I've had moments like this where I'm talking with my wife. And I'm judging the poor choices of others or uncharitably critiquing even our friends. And the Holy Spirit in the, sometimes in those moments just like, bam! All the conviction rushes in. Has that ever happened to you? It's painful, right? But suddenly the truth is triggering in my mind. And I realize life is just too short for me to focus on all the wrongs of others. I could spend a lifetime on my issues and never get to the bottom of them. Don't waste your time judging others. Let God do that perfectly. You spend your energy on loving. That's the attitude of someone who's been forgiven much. They revere Jesus more than anything else. They refrain from judging. And now point number three. They remember their debt paid by Christ. Follower of Jesus, remember your debt paid by Christ. We'll spend a little bit longer in this point because it's a, more of the text and also kind of hits the, the key uh, main focus of this message and the parable that we're about to read. Look down at verse 41. Let's look at the parable. Jesus says, A money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? That's his question. And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have judged correctly. It's a little bit like, no duh, Simon. <laughs> it's a little bit of an obvious answer. But actually, I'll say this. I, I believe Jesus is being extremely loving towards this man. I believe in all of these descriptions and lessons that he gives Simon, he is desirous to see this man repent, see the folly of his ways. But here's this parable. Two debtors representing two sinners with two different debt amounts. One owed about two months' wages, and the other owed almost two years' wages. Neither one can pay it, and both are forgiven. Now, the two debt amounts, they don't mean that the two sinners are at different levels of depravity. It's the quantity of actual sins in their lives that's greater or less. And it's a spectrum that we all exist on. Okay? There are those of you who have, on the surface, in a sense, been spared much wayward running. You've grown up maybe in a, a moral environment. Mom and dad laid good boundaries for you. By God's grace, your flesh has had less opportunity to sink its teeth into the world. There are also, in this room, those who, before Christ saved you, saw what the world had to offer and took a big bite. And maybe ran for a long time. And you carry deep scars 
from the past filled with vivid, ugly memories of your sin. Now both are sinners saved by grace. Let me know you're clear on that by a little, little amen. Okay, okay, thank you. I, I, I read one commentator who said, there's no difference between a man drowning in 50 feet of water versus a man drowning in 500. But then you kind of got to skip to the end of Jesus' lesson, his punchline in verse 47. And he brings the story into real life. He says, her sins, referring to the woman, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Now, how do we pull application from this? Because that's what we want to do. We could say, more sin committed will be more sin forgiven. And that would be the path to love more. Right? Well, we can't do that. <laughs> Paul says in Romans 6, right? Shall we sin all the more that grace may abound? May it never be. Instead, focus your attention on the major contrast between the way Simon and the way the woman view their own sin. I think that's the key to application. Simon all but thinks he's reached perfection, right? He's in his high tower looking down on this sinful woman, right? We know that he has sin issues. The woman is wrecked, but she's joyful because now redeemed, she sees everything through that gospel lens. And, and that's why I made this third, third, third point, having two emphases. Remember your debt paid by Christ. Will you say that with me? Remember your debt. See, that, that's important. We must keep that balanced gospel perspective always if we're going to love like we've been forgiven much. We got to remember the gospel. It's what the, the unrepentant sinner must respond to and what the redeemed sinner must regularly remember. Every one of us, regardless of the number of sins, stood before God bankrupt, unable to pay the debt. The penalty? Death. Eternal death. God, like the moneylender, forgave us. And he incurred the cost. His son died on the cross, died in our place, but he raised from the grave and offers us forgiveness that he purchased. Remembering, setting your mind to this is one of the most practical helps to enhance your love for Christ and others. It's something that was impressed in my heart when I read a book called The Discipline of Grace by Jerry Bridges. And he has a chapter that says, preach the gospel to yourself every day. It's a little simple thing, but man, that stuck with me. And it is a huge help in being passionate for Christ and loving like him. When our church in Hollywood did street evangelism, we used to have this little phrase that we would tell each other before we went out and talked to people on the street. We'd say, take the pill of your own depravity. Kind of a weird thing. <laughs> but you get it, right? Take the pill of your own depravity. Remember your salvation story. Before you tell someone they're a sinner and need Jesus, stop and remember your own debt 
paid by Christ. So that there's humility and love. Because come on, were it not for grace, you too would be lost. Now, can I encourage you, if you hear this message and all the while you put yourself in the category of the greater debtor. Don't resist the forgiveness that Christ purchased for you. Remember your debt, paid in full. The work he accomplished on the cross is complete and not one sin that needed to be paid for was left out. Are you hearing me? I say this to you not thinking that you're the greater sinner, but knowing that you may build reasons in your mind to condemn yourself, and God says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you have repented and placed your faith in Christ, you have been forgiven, and you need to live in light of that. Now listen to a very similar story. I actually put it in your outline, a little paragraph there. It's another parable that Jesus teaches. It's later in Luke in chapter 18. You'll recognize it as we get into it, but follow along as I read out loud this parable in Luke 18, 9 through 13. And he, this is Jesus, also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Okay, there you go. There's the setup. Here's the parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. Then camera angle changes, right? And here's the tax collector. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me. And what does he say? The sinner. He's fine being put in that category because he knows the forgiveness that's coming. Both despicable sinners only one willing to admit it. And that's the one, Jesus says, that has been forgiven. Love like you've been forgiven much. How are we going to do this? How are we going to go after that love that's in line with the forgiveness we've received? We've looked at three. First, revere above all the person of Christ then refrain from judging in place of Christ. Remember your debt paid by Christ. And lastly, rest in the saving work of Christ. I like that word for the end of this text of scripture. Rest in the saving work of Christ. Jesus now speaks directly to the woman. Verse 48 your sins have been forgiven. Now, Jesus didn't necessarily need to give confidence to this woman, does he? 
She just walked into a giant party and laid it all out on the line. She's got some courage. But oh, what a moment. What a moment this is. Her very sinful public reputation, the sinner, is now publicly declared by her Savior in person, forgiven. This woman is clean. The room erupts with murmurs of confusion and disapproval, and Jesus keeps his gaze right there on her. As if to say, their opinions don't matter. Your salvation is secure. Carry the guilt no more. And then verse 50, he adds, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Forgiveness is always by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. Nothing we can do to earn it. All a work of him, none a work of me. And for the sinner who knows and feels deeply their own depravity, this message right here is the most glorious message in all the world. I'm not saved on my own merit. My deeds are not weighed in the scales. My salvation is based on the perfect righteousness of another. With a similar heart attitude in his confessions, the church father Augustine, who ran in sin many years of his life before Christ intercepted his path. This is Augustine, he says in his confessions. It's a prayer to God. He says, You have made me for yourself, O Lord. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Does that resonate with you? When you think about your testimony and how God saved you? The totally cleared conscience of the believer who receives that forgiveness in Christ alone brings you to the only true peace. And the sinner's only response is to rest in that salvation. Isn't that good news? So you know the gnarly list of sin that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians 6? I put the verse that follows that gnarly list of sins in your outline, and I want to read it together. Are you ready? This is 1 Corinthians 6, 11. After this gnarly list of sins. Let's read it together. Such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Simon has shown us the danger of self-righteous, judgmental, unloving approach to Christ. The sinful woman shows us what true forgiveness looks like. And Jesus, who loves sinners. Okay, if you came and you're new with us and the gospel has not yet transformed your life, will you hear this just one thing? Jesus loves sinners. Jesus, who loves sinners, 
has granted us that same glorious forgiveness. And so, love and live like you've been forgiven much. Let it drive you to love the kind of love for all that God loves. Yes, love Christ. That's the first. But let it drive you to love your spouse. Love your kids. Love the church. Love your neighbors. Love your coworkers. Love the lost. Love the person who no one wants to take time to love. This is the heart of Christ. Just think, he chose to love you. A love in response to Christ's shocking forgiveness will be characterized by unashamed, reverential adoration of him. It will be a love that is unwilling to discriminate between who we think is deserving or not. They will have in mind the paid in full debt that we owed because it is the love with which he loved us to the point of death, sacrificing all so that we, through faith, could rest in him. If you have yet to taste this forgiveness, let this be the day that you do not lay your head on the pillow before you run to him like this sinful woman. Run to him so that you can experience today the love and forgiveness of Christ. And to my fellow debtors, those who owe 50, 500, 5 million, if your debt has been wiped clean, love like you've been forgiven much. Lord, Where, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Our love and passion often grow dim. I feel it, Lord. We are regularly distracted by lesser things. And I thank you, we thank you, that your love for us never changes. It is constant, ever faithful, unconditional, sealed with your blood. Help us, Lord, to put you first, to lay aside our critical spirit, to remember the debt we owed, but to rest knowing that if we are in you, that debt has been paid in full. Oh, our sins, they are many. But your mercy and grace and love are far more. Let that fact ignite our love afresh and cause us to give ourselves entirely to the praise and worship of your glorious name. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.